Get informed, get inspired, and get connected. CannabisRadio.com presents NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. The National Cannabis Industry Association is the only national trade organization representing the businesses of the legal cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice covers a range of topics, including the rapidly evolving political and policy changes that affect our industry, news and events of importance to cannabis professionals, and features on companies, individuals, and campaigns at the cutting edge of the cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice begins now. Hello, thanks for tuning in to NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore, and I'm the Communications and Projects Manager at the National Cannabis Industry Association. Today, my guest is Samantha Walsh. She's based in Denver, Colorado. She's an expert in public affairs strategies and legislative policy serving the cannabis industry. She's also the co-founder of the National Hemp Association and currently sits on the Colorado Hemp Industries Board. Welcome to the show, Samantha. Thank you, Bethany. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, definitely happy to be catching up with you and hearing what you've been up to here. Uh, so let's get to know you the, you a little bit better. Tell us more about you and your background, who you are, and, and what you've been doing prior to getting involved in the marijuana and hemp movement and industry. Oh, sure. Um, I'm a Colorado native. I grew up on the western side of the state, um, very rural part of Colorado. I moved out to Denver in 2003 after I graduated. Um, I got a degree in fine arts, the concentration in graphic design, and um, did most of my work freelancing um, with corporate branding and um, logo development and brand development. And then... um, after that, I got married and settled down um, and then quickly got unmarried <laughs> and unsettled <laughs> and then um, f- sort of found my way into politics and government. I'd always had a passion for it and, um, you know, I kind of grew up with this idea and I think a lot of people sort of grow up in, you know, r- more rural areas of America with this idea that um, government is sort of an anathema and it was... Um, out of reach for quote unquote like average Joes like myself and then found out it was actually very attainable and um, within my reach and so I got a job at the Senate Majority I'm here in the Colorado State Senate and I did that for three years before moving my way into lobbying Wow, yeah that's quite a journey and there's not <laughs> there's not many real natives here in Colorado left from what I understand it's becoming one of those uh, transplant states, and and I'm I'm guilty as well. I moved here four and a half years ago from the <laughs> East Coast. Um, so, what brought you to take that journey and then jump into specifically the the cannabis hemp arena? Was is there a personal story that that brought you there? Some some people have a personal story or an epiphany moment. Um. I actually um, have. I mean, it was always a favor and in, in, you know, in favor of legalization. Um, I didn't really know much about hemp until a family friend had um, introduced me to Adam Dunn, who is a f- member of her family, and um, 
he had moved, you know, back to Colorado or to Colorado for the first time after living in Amsterdam for sev- several years. And for anyone who doesn't know who Adam Dunn is, I, I recommend you Google him. He's very much an original pioneer within both sides of the industry and uh, it, just a wonderful person all around. And, you know, Adam was looking for help with his business and getting started within the cannabis industry here in Colorado. And uh, so I was, you know, sort of helping him navigate that. And and in that, I found out about hemp, which shocked me. I think that a lot of us always feel like, why isn't this legal? And how are we not, like, completely sending a lot of um, resources into this industry to develop it? Because it's mm-hmm. just once you learn about it, it's, it's a little bit shocking and amazing at the same time about, you know, just all of the wonderful benefits. Um, and so... You know, I then I realized that that's right, about the time that um, Amendment 64 was gaining traction and uh, momentum, and I decided that I knew I wanted to. You know, I was starting to get into the lobbying, and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do was either going to be something with women's rights or cannabis legalization, and and then hemp was just right there, and I saw an opportunity, and I gathered up um, all the hemp activists at one of the victory parties once Amendment 64 passed and um, figured out who they were and, um, you know, talked to them and, you know, got them all together and asked, what can we do? What do we need to put into legislation? Because Amendment 64 didn't really have a timeline for hemp except for 2014. And, you know, we saw an opportunity to get it done a year early while everybody was sort of focused on just the marijuana side. Mm-hmm. And we did. We were able to push through a bill that um, really created the foundation and structure for what is now the probably largest hemp economy in the United States. Wow. Yeah, there's so many amazing applications that are possible for hemp that I, I totally agree with you. I don't quite, I can't quite wrap my head around the fact that we don't produce so many products here within the United States with hemp. It's it's mind-blowing. So hopefully with your work and all the other hemp activists out there, uh, we will make a lot more progress on that quickly. Um, yeah, it's just interesting. Like, I think coming from a rural background, I, I think that it's more uh, personal to me and like, you know, when I see the potential applications for this crop and, you know, how it can be meaningful to different um, parts of our state. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to have a hemp field right here in the middle of downtown Denver or anything in, <laughs> in City Park, but but there's a lot of um, vast farmlands in the state of Colorado, much like other states that could certainly take that on, it sounds like. Yes. Do you find that hemp activists versus uh, marijuana legalization activists, are they are they really two different camps or is there... Is there a lot of crossover with those activists where you kind of are focused on one and not the other? Um, I think that in the beginning, so when you're talking about 20, 30 years ago, they were very much rooted in the same, um, within the same group and culture of people. Um, Definitely a lot more liberal and progressive thinking and minded people that sort of didn't uh, see the logic in banning a plant. I do think that in the hemp industry, you had a little bit more within that liberal ideology, a little bit, probably some more conservative people who, whose primary goal wasn't necessarily the marijuana side, but mostly just the agricultural, you know, driven for the agricultural um, purposes for hemp. And um, 
and the sustainability purposes and because it's a natural, you know, it has all these um, green applications. Yeah. Um, okay. But I, I mean, I, as far as um, <laughs> I, you know, and as far as like the passion, I think on, on either side of the plant, I, I definitely see a lot of similarities. Absolutely. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So, so now you are working with Tetra Public Affairs and uh, your partner, Liz. Uh, t- tell me more about your role there and, and what Tetra Public Affairs is up to these days. Oh, sure. Um, well, a couple of years ago, you know, my friend Liz Gagnon, who lives down in Florida, um, you know, I, I was already doing just independent consulting and contracting, and I really wanted to grow that. And Liz has a, a extensive history in marketing and branding, agricultural. Um, she graduated from UNF with a degree in ag and um, was also a pharmaceutical rep for several years. So she had all the perfect makings of sort of understanding where this industry needs to grow and where it needs to start planting roots, so to, so to speak. So, mm-hmm. you know, really rooting ourselves in the traditional ag and making sure that we fit within that regulatory mold and really understanding that when it comes to the natural products and wellness side, being able to plug into that retail market um, and, and, and being able to take on those educational responsibilities about the benefits of our product that a lot of these producers and manufacturers are prohibited from doing. And how do we take on that role? And, um, you know, pharma, ironic as it is, actually really set that mold, you know, um, of being able to educate the people that would be dispensing your product. And so um, that's what we really try to do at Tetra is work with manufacturers and producers about you know, building that brand and that market. Gotcha. That's great. Thanks for doing that work. Um, great. So we're going to take a commercial break here in a minute. But before we do, I'd like to ask for some feedback from our listeners. If you like the show, if you have some feedback, if you'd like to hear us interview someone specific, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what you're liking, what you're not liking. Uh, please shoot me an email and let me know who you are, what you do in the industry, what your role is, and your thoughts about NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice podcast. You can do that by emailing podcast at thecannabisindustry.org. All right, we're going to take that quick commercial break here. Thanks for tuning in, and don't go away. We'll be back to talk more with Samantha Walsh, co-founder of National Hemp Association and currently Tetra Public Affairs. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. Introducing 420 Cloud, ignited by MSIG, one of the fastest growing social apps around. The only app you'll need for all things cannabis. Find the latest cannabis news, videos, and stories, ranging from business and tech to sports and medicine. Start your career in cannabis by seeking, identifying, and applying for jobs through our expansive listings. For businesses, 420cloud.com features a full-scale cross-channel network, monetizing high traffic for big data conversion and analytics. Download 420 Cloud now from the iTunes Store or Google Play. MSIG.com is a publicly listed company on the OTC, symbol MCIG. At Alternative Vibes, our core values of quality, loyalty, respect, and honesty guides us in our mission to help families find peace and harmony through our products and services. Whether you are looking for a more natural way of living, 
shopping essential oils, topicals, and edibles, or searching for a path towards achieving your goals, we are your choice. Learn more about our complete line of natural products and solutions at AlternativeVibes.com. Bringing quality of living to life. AlternativeVibes.com. Are you ready to be inspired and educated by the best of the best in the cannabis industry while enjoying sunny South Florida? Then you cannot miss out on the first annual United States Cannabis Conference and Expo, August 24th to the 26th inside the Hyatt Regency in downtown Miami. The USCC Expo welcomes all cannabis business professionals, medical cannabis caregivers and clinicians, growers and dispensary owners to join us for this brand new event sponsored by the radio podcast leader for all things cannabis, CannabisRadio.com. Be one of the first to register today at USCCExpo.com. That's USCCExpo.com. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, we are back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice, and today we're talking with Samantha Walsh of Tetra Public Affairs. So let's just dive right in. So hemp specifically, you founded the National Hemp Association, you're involved with other organizations with the goal in mind of advancing the hemp industry, as well as encouraging policies that would allow the U.S. to produce this, the very same products that we must currently import from other countries, products like fiber and farm feed, I, I read on your website, and the list goes on. Yeah, um, we founded National Hemp Association, gosh, that would have been like in, I think, 2015, and it was a natural outgrowth of those core original activists that I work with um, when we were working on the first hemp bills here in Colorado, Um, and that started, that that core group sort of became the founders of the Rocky Mountain Hemp Association and that grew into the National Hemp Association, and the primary goal was to be a little bit more um, locally driven when it comes to legislation and um, really work on the industry, how we can like build up that infrastructure. Um, the National Hemp Association has grown on to um, become very impactful and work closely with the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, which is a, a really solid um, organization that's been doing a lot of great work on D.C., um, and, you know, they now also work with um, Hemp Industries Association, of which we finally have a state chapter here in Colorado, um, which has now taken on the, the legacy work of NHA. And, yeah, it is important. I think one of the most compelling arguments we've always had at the state capitol is the kind of jobs that we can produce in rural Colorado. And and honestly, you know, this has been the, the first thing I really said about hemp, even in committee, is that, um, you know, once you get this these materials and this crop into the hand of American entrepreneurs, it's it's going to be amazing what they can produce. I think one of the most interesting things that I ever came across is, you know, you always get these people that are still kind of like, in, you know, a 30, you know, people have been working on this issue for 30 years and they're still very much focused on um, how do we get our hands on, for example, a decortication machine, which you know, the 80 year old technology. <laughs> and my mm-hmm. answer to them is why are we focusing on getting our hands on 80 year old technology when we could be 
you know, incentivizing people to build new ways to decorticate the hemp fiber and to process it and manufacture it. And now we're seeing that. I think that that's just one of the benefits of, again, once we get this into the hands of um, American minds and um, I'm usually not a very nationalistic person, but I truly believe this, that we have a lot of um, inventive people within our country. And I think that's part of the American spirit, you know, whether they're first generation immigrants or several generation natives, you know, there's just an ingenuity in, in our spirit. And we're being able to develop this industry so quickly now and so beyond, you know, what was we were capable of 80 years ago and finding even brand new applications. I think that you know, a lot of people are, are focused on, oh, hemp, you know, it's, yeah, you can eat some hemp seeds at Costco, and yeah, they made <laughs> they made rope from it in the 1940s, but um, it's so much more advanced now. You know, we're seeing people um, look into a lot of serious applications of the supercapacitor batteries with the graphene made from hemp. Um, the construction building materials is um, a very fascinating aspect uh, that I'm particularly interested in because we can be creating new sustainable um, dwellings that are energy efficient and flood, re- you know, mold resistant from when we have floods or fire resistance from fire wildfires here in Colorado. And um, I think that that's incredibly um, exciting. I, and I think that, you know, there's uh, it, who knows what we're going to be able to discover at this plant. You know, I think sometimes we get lost in the, the battle of, CBD and, um, you know, sort of cannabinoid therapy items, but there's, there's just so much more to the plant than that. Oh yeah. That hempcrete looks really awesome. Uh, you know, I see little videos of prototypes and, and, and it's, it, it is the future. It's true. And something you said a, a couple minutes ago, I, about the 80 year old technology. And that reminds me, I think I read something that that level of technology would be very expensive uh, and that's maybe one of the reasons it's so difficult uh, to to process the plant into products. Is am I along? Am I on the right track there? It's it was too expensive, so we need better technology. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's part of it. I think that um, the traditional decortication um, factories, you know, that people were using 80, 75 years ago. I believe the estimates were somewhere around like one to two million dollars to build. Could be upwards of that. Um, you know, and I mean, there's one down in, I think, South North Carolina area that's being used. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to retrofit sort of dying factories, right, that okay. that were being used in other industries. But I think the real goal has to sometimes be, yeah, moving forward. What kind of new technologies can we advance when it comes to processing and manufacturing? Yeah, got it. So... Yeah, on the federal level, I know we've been watching uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell from Kentucky, who's a Republican, and he's become a champion of hemp, and he's been in the news quite a bit uh, with his uh, hemp cultivation provisions in the farm bill. Uh, Is there any update on that that you've been watching? Yeah, so they successfully added the, the Hemp Farming Act as an amendment into the farm bill um and this is essentially uh deschedules um hemp you know as it's colloquially defined um with the 0.3 percent thc level um from the controlled substances act um you know so basically taking what we've already started under 7606 of the farm bill and expanding upon that definition and severing those ties once and for all 
Um, because while, you know, hemp was sort of legal under 7606, it was still, there was still that conflict a law and controlled substances act. I know that some people can get very confused about that, but it, they were just like two conflicts of law, um, yeah. with, you know, I, I would, I would argue that it seemed that the farm bill was overriding that considering, um, you didn't see many CBD or hemp manufacturers getting raided by the DEA for transporting a quote-unquote controlled substances across state lines. So I think that kind of settles that argument. But um, this, you know, and this would allow for the um, USDA to sort of take over um, oversight, regulatory oversight, um, just like they do with other crops, um, you know, of the hemp industry. And and that's ideal. They think there's still some problems um there is a felony, a drug felony um, provision in there that says anyone who has had a drug felony would um, be prohibited from being able to um, access, like, a, you know, the hemp license system. If I think if a state comes back and, you know, in opposition to that, that would be something that would have to be adjudicated. But um, it's that's an unfortunate provision, and I do hope that that gets amended. But right now, it it does, I mean, it's still going to have to go through reconciliation with the House version of the Farm Bill. So hopefully it gets um, fixed in that. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, we have just a minute or so left before our commercial break, but I wanted to to address uh, the very regulated environment that marijuana is in, and that varies from state to state. But of course, hemp's a little bit different in this sense. And you mentioned there's a bit of confusion about those real differences. So uh, how is hemp being treated in the regulatory environment that would show this gap in understanding and regulations? And I think you hinted at that in your last answer. Sure. Um, I think that, right, well, because right now under 7606, each state's sort of taking a, its own individual approach about how to regulate hemp. Um, ideally, what you know we've advocated for, I've advocated for through um the various organizations I work with and through my consulting firm is to make sure that hemp can plug into existing regulations. Uh, what you have with in the marijuana side is that you have um, sort of uh, we, each state has had to create regulations from scratch because in areas where you had federal oversight, for example, um, EPA and, and USDA and FDA would sort of oversee a lot of like food and health and safety regulations. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to the, you know, the manufacturing of these products um, and and uh, they didn't want to have any sort of role when it came to the marijuana side and hemp, the other on, on the other hand, though, um, it's mostly driven, I would think, by uh, traditional business people, farmers, um, which we're now starting to see in the marijuana industry. I don't want to insinuate none of those people are <laughs> um, not typical entrepreneurs, but definitely more risk-taking. And mm-hmm. um, uh, <laughs> and, um, and so, um, you know, these are farmers that already follow USDA guidelines because they are growing other crops. And so there's really no need to impose extraneous regulations on them. And, and ideally, because there is no... Um, diversion risk for hemp. I mean, we're not exactly seeing like a black market for hemp soap. No. So <laughs> there's no, <laughs> so it doesn't make sense to have sort of law enforcement involvement with hemp. If, as long as you're re- maintaining, you know, that THC level 
and, yeah. and we're able to enforce that through um, local testing with each department of ag. Um, other than that, you know, it really just needs to be about the end use. And so that's where we sort of see these gaps in regulations because sometimes people want to approach the hemp crop the same way they approach the marijuana crop, which is that it needs all these extra licensing and regulations and guidelines. But it really doesn't. It just needs to fit into existing molds. Um, it just needs to fit into the mold that we use when it comes to farming corn. It just needs to fit in the mold that it that it we have when it comes to creating food products. You know, got it. You don't have to it. apply for like a a license to create corn. <laughs> you yeah. know, corn meal out of your corn. You shouldn't have to get an extra different hemp license to create. You know, a hemp food product out of hemp. You should just get the regular food license that everybody gets <laughs> you know so yeah, that's sort yeah. of where we see that and I think once we sometimes we we come to these local regulators and um explain that they sort of get it because they, they they're sort of in this habit of looking for that extraneous regulation and for those extraneous permissions yeah and they, they are realize that they already <laughs> and they don't realize they already have them and we see the this a lot with third-party certifiers, particularly when you have um, independent, like this, as is often with government, they will um, contract the job out to somebody else when it comes to certifying and doing safety inspections and things like that. Um, and these are people that need an extra amount of education when it comes to the differences between hemp and marijuana and yeah. how they're different. That makes sense. All right, we have to take that commercial break and we'll be right back. Stay tuned. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. Cannabis concentrates have been around for thousands of years. In 19th century America, extracts mixed with other herbs were sold as a miracle cure. Now, Apex Supercritical has elevated the science of extraction into the 21st century. Apex Supercritical is the leader in CO2 extraction, which is the cleanest, safest, and purest way to extract plant oils. ROI in as little as three weeks. Our cost-effective systems are fully automated with an industry-leading three-year warranty. And if we don't have your system in stock, we can build one in as little as four weeks. Bringing CO2 extraction to the masses. Learn more at apeksupercritical.com. Four-week build excludes high production systems. Strainwise Consulting is the most sought-after consulting company for cannabis business applications and management contracts. We consulted on the first recreational license in the world and have had an over 95% success rate on applications submitted. The industry is growing at such an exponential rate that building a powerful and lasting cannabis business is a number one priority. Here's Strainwise's Sean Eubanks. In our first five years, we branded and supported nine medical and recreational marijuana dispensaries and a approximately 160,000 square feet of sophisticated and efficient product cultivation. Strainwise Consulting has the experience and expertise to guide you through the process. Do you have new ideas that you believe will make a difference in the cannabis industry? Looking to make your brand or service stand out? The first annual United States Cannabis Conference and Expo is seeking sponsors and speakers for its inaugural event August 24th through the 26th at the Hyatt Regency in downtown Miami. Cannabis business professionals, medical cannabis caregivers and clinicians, growers and dispensary owners are all welcome to join us for this brand new event sponsored by the radio and podcast leader for all things cannabis, CannabisRadio.com. Grow with us in this groundbreaking event, the first annual United States Cannabis Conference and Expo, August 24th through the 26th at the Hyatt Regency in downtown Miami. Learn more at usccexpo.com. 
Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio, and we're wrapping up our talk with Samantha Walsh of Tetra Public Affairs and very involved in the hemp industry and movement. Um, so I wanted to ask you, do you have a prediction or maybe a hope that you could share for the federal on the federal scene here, how cannabis legalization and how hemp plays a role and then how there's a relationship between the two sister plants with similar roots. God, the puns just never stop coming <laughs> in our industry. But it, yeah, like, what, what do you see down the road here? Um, well, it's, it's really interesting. I think that when you look at the history of um, the legalization movement against prohibition, um, you know, hemp got wrapped up in prohibition because of, you know, reefer madness against marijuana. And then it got roped into legalization because there is such a movement for social reform when it came to our drug laws. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the social reform, you know, we've always seen this tendency and this instinct, which I don't necessarily think is wrong because, again, when you're dealing with people that need an extra bit of attention and, and education um, when it comes to nuance, which unfortunately sometimes politicians aren't the greatest at nuance, mm-hmm. um, you, you, there's this instinct within the hemp community to really distance itself from the marijuana industry um, because we didn't want to be roped up within these onerous and restrictive regulations and mm-hmm. you know and um it really was you know when you're talking about when it comes to the import and export of trades and goods there was already a very like robust hemp market just not within the united states um and now we're sort of seeing this like inverse where hemp's probably going to get done before marijuana even though technically marijuana got done on a state level before hemp did in several states mm-hmm. and i would hope that um while we, you know, the instinct is to keep these two things separate, that I hope that um, the hemp industry really is mindful about the kind of regulations that we ask of ourselves and that we ask of regulators and that we keep in responsible business practices to the point where we're trusted to self-regulate and that once people see that there's no harm here, that then they allow marijuana to follow the same suit. I think a lot of the regulations around marijuana are overly ridiculous mm-hmm. and, um, and you know, stifling. And um, I would hope that, you know, we can eventually take these two swim lanes that we've created for these um, industries and that they can eventually merge into one where it's really just about the end use product, um, you know, just like wheat. You know, you can make beer from wheat or you can make bread from wheat and you can even make a really good whiskey from wheat. But nobody's, you know, doing criminal background checks and licensing on farmers who are growing wheat. And and hopefully, you know, that's where we can get with um, the cannabis crop in general. Yeah, that makes sense. Got it. So um, to bring it back down to a a local level, um, I saw you recently at a couple of Jared Polis for Governor events. Um, Jared Polis has been a champion for cannabis here um, at the congressional level in Colorado. Um, so now he's running for governor, which is pretty exciting. Um, and and you were also a co-host of Mother's High Tea, which is a great annual event that happens here in Denver, um, along with Susan Squibb. And at that event, um, you spoke about 
the importance of advocacy and professionalism in our industry. Um, would you share a little bit more about that with the listeners? Sure, and um, really glad to see Jared win the party's nomination and will be our um, Democrat nominee moving forward for the governor's race. So um, mm-hmm. I hope he's able to take that win and write on write that into the governor's office because um, I don't I don't think Jared <laughs> is this. Uh, you know, I think a lot of our more conservative or Republican or even business-minded friends might think that, you know, oh, God, he's a lefty from Boulder. But really, I mean, there couldn't be a better advocate for, like, really reducing over extraneous regulations on government than Jared Polis. I mean, this is a man who champions raw milk and hemp. So I don't think you could get a better argument for getting government out of the way of business. Um, so I'm really glad to see him move on. Um, I think that when it comes to advocacy and professionalism in our industry, sometimes there can be this, I mean, this is an industry and a movement grew out of activism. And I think that sometimes people can believe that um, if you want to now move on to like being a professional industry, that that means you have to leave the activism behind. And I don't agree with that. I think that we can still be a socially conscious industry moving forward. I think we see a lot of that good work with the Minority Cannabis Business Association trying to um, rectify a lot of wrongs that were done to people of color during prohibition and making sure that they are um, emboldened and made whole. I think that um, sometimes people can believe that in that when you becoming professional or becoming a legit business means that you also have to be unscrupulous or unethical. And I don't think that's true at all. I think that we can, we can really do a lot of work to change the face of how industry and capitalism is done by um, continuing to be socially mindful and, you know, really understanding our roots as it is, so to speak. And, um, and, and I don't think that these are mutually exclusive concepts. And, you know, there's a lot of, like we're building a brand new industry with hundreds of thousands of jobs and literally billions of dollars of capital at stake. And, and we have an opportunity to really influence um, how industry and capitalism op- operates. And, and I think that um, we would be misguided to not take advantage of that as a brand yep. new industry. Totally agree. Our industry is both professionalism and advocacy. All right. We have run out of time, but uh, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Um, What is the website for where people can find you? Um, Thanks, Bethany, for having me. The website is www.tetrapublicaffairs.com. And again, we specialize in um, government affairs, public affairs, and, and branding, marketing, and sales contracting within the cannabis industry. Awesome. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. Until next time. Opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.